Amen. You may have a seat. I'd like to invite you, if you don't have a Bible, you can, oh, we didn't put them out. There's one in front of you. And uh, you can turn or swipe to Psalm 125. Also want to invite you to grab one of these communion packs on this table here if you didn't already. At the end of our time, if you are a follower of Jesus, we will invite you to receive communion together. Well, so good to see you all. So good to be God's people together. Um, We are still just trying to do this as safely and for as long as possible. And sometimes that means that we get a phone call where our worship leader has a very light temperature. She doesn't think it's anything serious, but it's the name of the game in the world we live in. So she's playing it safe. We love you. We see you, Kelly. We're praying for you. And uh, we are just trying to love our neighbor and look out for one another in that way. And it's also a good reminder why I don't often step in and step up to do this, because I get pretty sweaty. I get pretty sweaty when I got that guitar and these lights. So let's just name it. Let's call it like we see it. It's hot. I'm sweaty. And you're going to have to look at this for the next few minutes. It's just it is what it is. So we're going to read this psalm because we are in this series called Psalms for the Journey. So if you're there, I'd love for you to take a look at Psalm 125. But before we read it, I want to remind you of where we've been this summer, looking at the 15 Psalms of Ascent. Maybe if you're looking in your Bible, you see a little italicized version that says, A Song of Ascent. Now, these 15 psalms that are part of the whole book of songs, they're songs that were sung by pilgrims just like us on our journey toward God. Unlike us, however, their ascent was literal. It was geographical. The place they were headed was set atop a high hill. It was Jerusalem, the city on a hill where the temple was, and they would have to literally go up to worship. So they'd pop in this CD in their minivan, and they'd be jamming to these 15 songs on their road trip to the temple to do the big festivals like Passover. It'd be the equivalent of you driving to your grandma's house for Christmas, and you're listening to the carols and I don't know, what's your favorite Christmas carol? What's your favorite Christmas song? We like the Mariah Carey, fill in the blank. Lynette is a Mariah Carey fan, the queen of Christmas. You're listening to these songs you always listen to on your way to this special celebration. So it was literal for them. For us, it's a spiritual journey because they're all songs that encourage us, that lift us, especially when we're walking through the varied and dark and up and down terrain of life. Show of hands if you've had an up and down week and it's been some varied terrain as you navigate it. We are all walking through a stressful time. So let me just tell you, whether you're live streaming and tonight we're just live streaming in our Facebook group, Once we get the kinks all sorted out, we'll go back to a public live stream like we did last year. But whether you're live streaming or whether you're here face to face, we keep doing this because of what we just sang, to keep our eyes above the waves, right? 
to cry out to God and to remind us of at least two things. We're not alone. Look around. And God is not done. Amen? God is still at work within us and around us. So it's like we ascend each week to see the world from God's perspective, even in and amongst the waves and chaos, not to discount them, not to say they don't matter, not to say, oh, quit being stressed. No, it's okay to be stressed, but be stressed with the knowledge that God is still working and you're not alone. Amen? That's why we keep doing this. With all that being said, let's look tonight at Psalm 125 that's going to give us at least three stabilizing footholds, like the climbing wall. You see the picture there? Three stabilizing footholds for our ascent to keep our eyes above the waves, to get up, to have a vantage point that sees that we're not alone, that God is not done. He's surrounding us and protecting us. Amen? That's what we're up to for the next few moments. Let's look at Psalm 125. This evening, I'm going to be reading in the New Revised Standard Version that's going to be different from the Pew Bible in front of you, but it's going to be here with you on the screen. Let's hear these words. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, look at this, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time on and forevermore. Now this strange verse, listen to this in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, so that the righteous might not stretch out their hands to do wrong. Verse 4. We're going to have, look, in verse 4, we're going to have a prayer and then a reality check, and he's going to close with a benediction. Here's what he's going to say. Here's his prayer. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. Okay? Now here's the reality check. Ready? Verse 5. But those who turn aside to their own crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with the evildoers. Imagine a parade headed off into destruction. And then finally, here's the benediction. Ready? Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Tonight I told you I'm going to give you three stabilizing footholds, but first let me tell you about Pastor Bud. Pastor Bud, you might be watching, and if you are, I'm sorry, because I'm going to spoil a secret that I know. You see, Pastor Bud and I, every month for a few years, would go to a ranch about an hour from here, Tom and Judy Shaw's ranch, for the time alone with Jesus together. We would ride up together and we would kind of talk about kind of where we were, where the church is, where the people are, kind of share what's going on in our journey on the ascent. And then we'd arrive at the ranch, we'd chit chat with Tom and Judy, and then we'd split up to our different perches and places. And we would sit with Jesus, or I would walk with Jesus and a few cows for about four or five hours. 
And then we'd gather back together and we'd drive home and talk all about the wonderful things that the Lord had told us. Or in my case, I'd tell him about the lovely nap that I had for about 30 minutes before I read the Bible and heard from Jesus. But, but I'm not going to talk about me right now. I told you I'm going to talk about Pastor Bud. As I was thinking about this psalm and those trips out to the Shaw's Ranch, invariably, almost every time, Pastor Bud would tell me on the car ride home that, you know, I was just sitting there looking out the window and I just saw a windmill. Is that a pretty good Pastor Bud, those of you who know Pastor Bud? And I just watched this windmill turn around and around, and I just got to thinking about all the things in my head that just keep swirling. And I just keep wondering, and I'm losing it now, so I'm just going to go back to my voice. And I just keep thinking about all the worries and the, the ways that I want to keep taking back control, and I want to keep taking back these bad habits. And I thought, you know, I'm just like that windmill. You with me on this? Okay, fast forward a month, we go out, we talk, we split up, we come back, and he goes, you know, I saw a flock of birds go past, <laughs> right? And I thought about our church, I'm just kind of making this up on the fly, he wasn't, and I just thought about how some are going so fast and some are kind of falling behind, but we're all together. It's beautiful, right? Then a month would go by, and then he'd say, you know, I was looking out at that pond, and it looked so serene and still, but underneath there's probably a frenzy of activity and all this, and I, I just wonder, what would it be like if I could be like this pond, that I had this peace, but sometimes I feel like there's just a storm. You with me on this? You get the idea. What Bud was doing was basically contemplation which is a fancy theological and spiritual practice of really looking that transitions into really seeing. And what Bud was doing was seeing his surroundings that was able to connect to a deeper reality. You with me on this? You've probably done it too. Show of hands if you've done this, where you, where you just have this sense that you're like, this feels like something for me. If I'm really to pause and look and think about it, if you haven't had that experience, I would encourage you to look and still yourself long enough to see. You know, there's psychologists and um, uh, neuroscientists have told you that if you just spent 20 minutes outside three times a week, your stress levels would go down. There's something subconscious about being around and in tune with your surroundings that gets you grounded again, right? They said if you wanted to take it a step further, you could do three hours a month, and your brain responds to the trees above and the sounds and the smells and the streams. It gets you grounded again. And then if you're like the Browns, they're going to go extra credit. He says if you could do three days a year of camping you'd be really grounded. I don't even know what a couple weeks would do. How are you guys feeling? Good? Awesome. Take it from the Browns. When you can look, that gets to a place of seeing. This is what Bud has practiced for years. This is what the psalmist is doing here. Okay, now I'm trying to connect the dots. 
What did the psalmist do in verses 1 to 2? He was standing securely within the city on a hill. Look, surrounded by a wall, as ancient cities were. Y'all have seen the old castles in Lord of the Rings. Well, for centuries and centuries, they would surround their cities with walls because the threat of invasion was ever-present. So here's a guy standing on a city on a hill, surrounded by a wall that's also surrounded by what? A mountain range. Did you catch that in verse 2? So this guy is seeing a deeper reality. And he's connecting his surroundings to a spiritual truth. And by the way, kiddos, you've been great. I hope you had a great time on your Zoom this morning. I don't have that much fun stuff for you. If you're not going to hear anything else, I don't blame you. But I would love for you to just imagine. And grown-ups, if you're hot and tired and you're about to drift off, you could kind of just stop with verse 2. To look at this image, to see this image within you, maybe all you need to hear tonight is to sit with the image of verse 2 as you go through your week, that God surrounds you. Kiddos, God surrounds you even now. We're going to talk about that more in a minute, but that may just be enough to look and to really see that God is surrounding us where you sit Even if there's not a wall around your city, even if there's not a mountain around Garland, the reality, if you were to really see it, is that God is surrounding you even now. Which is why I think we can even go further with these three footholds. That was free. That's the headline. Kiddos, you can go back to coloring. Grown-ups, it's hot. Have a good nap. For the rest of us, let's get to our first foothold. You with me still? Here's our first foothold that we see in Psalm 125. Trust your security. Trust your security. That's what we see here in verse 1. Look back there with me. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. Trust your security. The psalmist is trusting in the Lord. Why? Because this. The object of your trust matters. Where you put your trust matters. I don't trust this music stand as a stool or a chair. It's not a very sturdy object of trust. But we can trust our security when we put our trust in the Lord. That's on the next slide here. The object of your trust matters. So the question then for each of us is, okay, so... Where is my security coming from? Because there are good things that I still trust. I trust that every time I sit in my car, ooh, I trust that it turns on. But all it takes is that one day it doesn't turn on, that you realize, ooh, the object of my trust isn't exactly secure 100% of the time. We know this, right, intuitively. We trust that our house won't fall apart tonight. We trust that we'll still have a few dollars in our bank account even if we go get Chipotle on our way home, right? Some of you, if y'all need help, you need to talk to Pastor Bud and I. We're here for you. Um, But we trust some of these good things. You with me? But they're not ultimate things, right? Your account gets overdrawn, your car doesn't start, and then a sewer line breaks. 
Those are good things to trust, but they're not ultimate things. What stabilizes when the car doesn't start and the sewer line breaks and our account is overdrawn has to be something beyond these objects of trust. This psalm was written by somebody without a car, without electricity, without sewage, without Advil, without Google, and yet the psalmist can point to God and say, the one who can put their trust in you can be sure and steady and stabilized even if the world starts to fall apart. I think the psalmist can sing that without Advil and emergency rooms and electricity because the psalmist understands that I don't have anything to count on but you. Because he lived in a city that would be attacked. He lived in a city with family members that would get sick and die. The psalmist had a keen awareness that we need to understand a stabilizing security beyond the things that will fail us. Follow me through this verse again. Because if we really start to pick at it, we might say, psalmist, are you sure? The psalmist says this, do you trust God? And we can say, yeah, I think so. Because my car didn't start. My house has fallen apart. But I guess he's all I got. And what does the psalmist say in verse 1? Then you are like what? Mount Zion, this place that we're standing. Which is the theological name for Jerusalem. So we say, cool, great, I'm a mountain. Nice. Sounds like Pastor Bud's retreat. But what does that mean? The psalmist says what? You can't be shaken, and what? You'll abide forever. We say, that sounds amazing. And we say, but, you ready? But, I got shaken on Tuesday. You with me? I am moved. And you said that I'm going to abide forever, but I'm pretty sure that I'm going to die. Unless Jesus returns and makes all things new, including me, I'm going to die and I am moved. I got shook this Thursday. How many of you have been shook this week, right? To varying degrees, but we do get shaken. To me, I was telling my neighborhood group this week that I feel like I'm living on a spiritual seesaw. That there are days when I feel up, and I'm really living in step and in the flow with God, and it's almost always tuned to how much I sat trying to get in tune. But some days I'm feeling really up, and the seesaw is fun. And then the next day, I can hit a big thud down on the ground. How many of you have felt at times this idea that we're just like a seesaw up and down with our struggles and our circumstances. So the psalmist says this, and we're like, yeah, but it kind of sounds too good to be true because Zion or Jerusalem, actually, dude, they do get attacked. This is a song written after Jerusalem gets attacked. This is a song where the wall has been broken and the people are emptied out of the city. How can you sing this? I'll tell you how. 
they realized on their ascent in places like, and you can write this down, Psalm 93 or Isaiah 53, that even though our circumstances and struggles can affect us, they will not violate God's purpose of reconciliation and new creation. They went to this cosmic view that they say, I'm looking around at my surroundings that are falling apart, but I'm trying and I'm daring to hope and see that this isn't the end. That evil doesn't get the last word. In Psalm 93, they're able to say, no, actually Zion will endure forever. And in Isaiah 53, they say, no, 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 even though we've got these people scattered to the winds, someone comes announcing a gospel, a good news that your God reigns. They went cosmic with it. So if we go back to our spiritual seesaw, I think what the psalmist wants to tell us is that you can be shaken and stirred and stiff-necked, but they are still solidly, securely, and belovedly God's people. Another way I could say it is, you and I may be up and down, but we're still securely on the ride. At our youth camp this past summer, Jason and I were talking about this language that we grew up with in youth group, that we had a spiritual high. And we were just living off of a spiritual high when we come back from youth camp or the Disciple Now weekend, if you grew up in an evangelical culture in the South, especially. And we were talking about how I don't think our students even like know that language because we're just trying to like follow Jesus together and cast a vision for this fact that you may be up and you may be down. But if you say yes to Jesus, he said yes to you and you are solidly, securely, belovedly in Christ and he is in you. Regardless of your performance, regardless of your feelings, Christ is stronger than your worst moment. Christ is stronger than the emotions that are trying to tell you something about what's going on in your heart. They're valid, but they're vehicles. The emotion on the up and down spiritual seesaw is telling you something about the state beneath the surface. You should pay attention to them but they are not as ultimate as the reality that you are in Christ and part of the unshakable kingdom of God. So he writes this psalm surrounded by a wall that is going to get crumbled. Surrounded by a mountain range that's going to be invaded by enemies. And he says, yeah, but, but I'm not shaken. Because he can trust his security. And the point I've been circling around this whole time is our second foothold, and that's this. Excavate your reality, which is kind of a goofy way to say what I've tried to say already. Can you see deeper than just what you're looking at? Excavate your reality. Even when the walls are crumbling and enemies are pouring down the mountainside, your emotions and circumstances are sending you up and down. We keep showing up. We keep sitting down with God to remind ourselves of the deeper reality beneath the reality that we can see. 
So I use that word excavate because I tried to look in the thesaurus and that was the closest thing I could get to drilling deeply down beneath the emotions, beneath my best and worst moments, to excavate and dig deep this groundswell, this taproot that you are in Christ and part of the unshakable kingdom of God regardless of what your test results say that you got at Walgreens this week. We need to get rooted because there's a deeper reality than what we can see. Richard Rohr writes this. I can send you this blog post if you'd like, but for now, it's a lengthy quote, and I'd love for you to stick with me. There's a lot packed in here. Richard Rohr writes this. In the beginning, Yahweh, the God of Israel, says, let us make humanity in our own image, in the likeness of ourselves. The use of the plural pronoun here seems to be an amazing, deep time intuition of what some would later call the Trinity. The revelation of the nature of God as community, as relationship itself, a mystery of perfect giving and perfect receiving. Stay with me both within God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and outside of God, spilling out into the cosmos. We're going deeper. Are you ready? Reality as communion became the template and pattern for our entire universe. Oh, stay with me. From atoms to galaxies. Physicists, Molecular biologists, astronomers, and other scientists are often more attuned to this universal pattern than many Christian believers. Paleontologist and Jesuit mystic, pause, I didn't know you could be those two things simultaneously, but this man, <laughs> Teilhard de Hardin, said it well, the physical structure of the universe is love. I will send you that blog post so you can spend the next week unpacking it, but I'll give you the two nuggets as to why I'm sharing this with you. The first is that phrase, reality as communion. When I'm talking about excavating a deeper reality, would you dare to believe that the glue of the universe is relationship? From the atom that is in relationship, proton, electron, neutron, and the nucleus, and the furthest flung galaxies in a relationship of gravity, maybe it's the outworking of a God who is in relationship, and relationship itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a reality that you and I were created for relationship. Because God is relationship, and he's longing for a relationship with you, which is why we also long for relationships with one another. That's a reality. And the more we go against the grain of relationships, we're starving and robbing ourselves of what can keep us stabilized when our world and our walls are falling down. Second, the reason we share this quote, how about this? The physical structure of the universe is love. I need you to understand this and plumb its depths and excavate it. Would you dare to believe that the foundation of the universe is love? 
So the degree to which you go against the grain of love is why the world and social media looks the way it looks and you feel the way you feel. Because it's actually running against the grain of how you are wired to be in relationship and love. The physical foundational structure of the universe is love. And so when Afghanistan happens, we can point there and say, we need more love there. We need more self-giving, sacrificial action, which is love there. Or when you're home, and in our home, the mantra has been, soften your voice. (laughs) We need more love there. Sometimes daddy doesn't realize how stressed he is until he says, clean up the crayons. We need more love there. The degree to which you can sit and get tapped in to the physical structure of the universe is the degree to which I believe you'll be able to be stabilized on your journey. So here's the big idea. This is the eternal reality undergirding your everyday circumstance. God the creator who is love, surrounds you. Like, this is my message right here. I'm almost done. So, like, this is it. I'm going to say it again. This is the eternal reality undergirding your everyday circumstance. God the Creator, who is relationship, and who is love, surrounds you. To put it another way, there's a song that originated from a church here in Dallas called Upper Room. And you may have heard this song. Confusingly, Michael W. Smith uh, covered it. And I think some other guys have covered it. So you've probably heard some version of it, but it basically goes like this. It may look like I'm surrounded, you know it? But I'm surrounded by you. That's the refrain. If you look it up on Amazon Music, there's a live version that's basically five minutes of that refrain. And as I'm listening to it this week with this psalm, it's reminding me, it's getting me deeply rooted in this reality that it may look like I'm surrounded by enemies pouring down the mountain range and the wall that's crumbling around me and I'm realizing that the only trust and security I really have is the one who's surrounding me even in the midst of the storm. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's the idea. That's the thing to really get straight. But the invitation then is for you to dig and dive deep or excavate into this eternal reality every day. To ground yourself in it. To sit until you see clearly. Here's a practice As Amy mentioned earlier, we had that five by five by five card, right? Five minutes of stillness, five minutes of prayer for those five urgent needs. Show of hands if it was super easy to sit for five minutes every day. Praise God for that. You are gifted by God. How many of us was it a struggle We're going against the grain of our culture, but God is a friend of silence. And he's trying to teach us that were we to sit long enough, we begin to see our shoulders begin to relax, and we begin to get grounded in a reality that's deeper than the reality that we see around us. Would you try to continue to sit 
until you see. So then you're meeting situations throughout your day where you don't just look at it and react to it. Maybe you can see clearly and respond to it. What would it look like for your children, your spouse, your, your, um, your roommates, your neighbors, your coworkers, that teacher on your team that's a struggle? To see and respond instead of just reacting. I told Amy I've, I've realized the key to my seesaw, like I mentioned earlier, I'm really better equipped at whatever comes my way throughout the day only if I've spent enough time, and sometimes it's five minutes, sometimes it's 50, when I can get grounded. Sometimes people say, how long should you pray? Richard Rohr, who I quoted earlier, when he was asked that question, he says, long enough until you can get to your foundation. For some of you that raise your hand, it's five minutes. For others of us, we need practice because you can only do five push-ups today, but after practice, maybe you can do 50 in 18 years. I don't know how long it takes. Every time I try, I get too sore, and I don't do it the next day. Same is true with our spirituality. What would that look like? Let me do another side note. It's hot. I'm going to start winding down now, but I need to say this. With our five-by-five-by-five, I hope that if you have kids, you prayed those five things with your children. Because it's becoming increasingly um, uh, clear to me that children especially learn to pray by listening to prayers. What a gift it is if they heard you pray. It doesn't have to be um, a psalm and poetry. How powerful to hear the names of your friends and family and those hurting on your lips. They learn to pray by praying but they also learn to pray by listening. That's why we pray so much in this dang church. Because we're trying to disciple our children by what they're hearing and singing. Amen? The invitation then is to sit until you really see to excavate reality. I want to run through the last little bit. The third foothold is this. Admit your fragility. Admit your fragility. So we've got trust your security, excavate your reality, admit your fragility. That weird verse that I mentioned earlier, let me give you the quick definition or explanation. You remember where he said, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, so that the righteous might not stretch out their hands to do wrong. What's up with that? It's the psalmist's way of saying, look, wickedness won't last forever, you might get punched in the mouth. Things won't go the way you want. What he's basically saying as he's standing in this city that may be crumbling around him, hey, God is still surrounding you, even though right now you are reckoning with the fact that you're fragile and frail and somebody has a scepter over you. He's basically saying, but it won't last forever. And even though there's not much you can do, resist the temptation to fight fire with fire. If you look at verse 3, you'll see that's what the psalmist is getting at. It won't last forever. You have to admit your fragility if you haven't yet in the last year and a half, that you're not invincible and you just simply aren't in control. And I hate it. 
Oh man, I hate it. We were talking in one of our leader meetings about this impulse to take back control and to seek control when we feel so out of control. And I believe I remember hearing in March 2020, someone saying, you don't need to just give up control. No, you need to give up your illusion that you were ever in control to begin with. Amen? Because you can keep the oil changed and you can keep gas in it, but sometimes that thing ain't going to start. There's very little we're actually in control of. So we need to give up the illusion of control, and sometimes it takes those moments. So the more we can practice it, the better we'll be. One more quick practice. One of the things that I was doing with someone this week is this. Would you take your two hands and just put them in your lap and turn them down, okay? So like a seated position, you're putting your hands down, Sometimes it takes our body to help clue in, not just our surroundings, but our body to a spiritual situation. Sometimes it may be helpful for you to turn those hands down and say to God in prayer, all right, here I am today. I'm going to give you, as I turn my hands down, I'm going to give you my need to control. I'm going to give you my illusion for control. I'm going to give you my frustration. I'm going to give you my anger and annoyance. I'm going to give you my fear, my anxiety. Would you try this? Just start unloading. It's a yard sale and everything must go. Put your hands down. Perhaps it will help you sit until you see and admit that, dang, I'm fragile. Sorry I said dang. I forgot we have kids in here all the time. God, forgive me for what I just said. I lay that down. And then you take your hands when you feel like you've unloaded and you just turn them up, right? Because we turn these up because we're asking and we're ready to receive. So then you turn your hands up and you say, so God, I need your peace. God, I need strength for that conversation that's about to happen. I need your guidance for what's supposed to happen this weekend. I need you I need you, I need you. Would you try the hands down, the hands up? Because this psalmist is showing us there are footholds when our journey is stressful and falling apart, and I need you, like me, to find whatever gets you grounded and through the week until we can meet again and climb the mountain and see things from God's perspective. The end of the psalm, we have verses 4 to 5. I told you we have that prayer and that reality check and that benediction. Some of you might have read that otherwise and say, man, this sounds like God just bless the people who are good and do bad things for the people who are bad. That's not what he's saying. That's not a Christian worldview in the physical structure of the universe that's love. Jesus reminds us that God allows the rain and the sun to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's a prayer where he says, God, do good to those who are trying to walk the way to you because we know people in our church and our community that have had a horrible week. And they're just trying. And you say, there's nothing they did but these circumstances are just knocking them down. So God, please do good to those who are trying to walk your way. 
remember we can only take so much. So it's a prayer and we walk with them, amen? The second thing he says, but all those who are turning away and going against the grain of love and relationship, they are finding themselves in a parade that is going toward death because the wages of sin is death and to choose death is a rejection of God's life. You say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. So they're going this way and that's why we keep saying, choose life, choose Jesus. And then he closes with that benediction. May God bring flourishing and holistic well-being to your people. This week, someone asked me, if someone does such and such sin, will they go to heaven? And I asked him, I said, how do you, how do you go to heaven? What do you think, man? And he says, you, you do good things. And I just got to thinking about this psalm, and I thought, man, the psalmist says, trust in the Lord, those who trust in the Lord. What if I trusted in my good works? How many good works do I do on a daily basis? So I said, wow, okay. I mean, how many good works will we have to do, man? Will we even know when we hit the mark? He goes, I guess not. He goes, so I guess you pray. I said, that's, that's pretty good. At least you're looking to someone beyond yourself and your good works. And I said, man, I said, here's how I see it. You asked me, can you still go to heaven? How do you get to heaven? For me, it's not what you do. It's about who you trust. And I believe if you trust Jesus and say, I give you my life, God gives you his eternal life in return. I'm going to look beyond myself, beyond my works, beyond what I can see, to see this deeper reality that there is something here calling, beckoning, drawing me deeper into relationship, that there's this eternal reality undergirding my everyday circumstance, that God, the creator who is love, is surrounding me. So the best chance you have, whether it's your first step from death to life to say, Jesus, this is my first time that I'm saying yes to you. Would you give me your life in return because I'm shaken and I don't know that I'll abide forever. It can be true of you when he gives you his life in return. And those bad works are forgiven and you find that you're swept up in life and mercy and compassion. So whether it's that first step or whether it's the daily step, you need to daily trust him for your security and daily anchor your reality in God's reality and to make peace with the fact that I'm fragile and I need God. He's all I've got. Every day we're entrusting ourselves to someone or something. The psalmist and your pastor is begging you, put your trust in God. You will not make it through Wednesday unless you are looking to the point of seeing that God surrounds you and he will sustain you. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team, if they would, to come. And again, if you did not receive one of these communion packets, would you...